Let's take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And this morning we got into two resurrections. There was the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of damnation. And that was the title for this morning is uh, Two Resurrections, Your Choice. And, of course, the choice is based on receiving Christ or not receiving Christ. You don't receive Christ by choice because it was offered. Salvation is for whosoever will. So since it is offered, to re not receive him is to reject him. And therefore, that resurrection, there will be a resurrection. It's into damnation. Uh, we don't call it eternal life, but it is eternal existence because you have a spirit that will exist forever in some type of a body in hell that God has prepared for that body there that feels a pain like this body would feel, that uh, feels all that we'd have in, you might say, our emotions, our feelings and so forth of torture and torment and, and, and fire touching a body. That body will feel that but not be able to cease to exist and not be able to escape. So that's not life. But in heaven, the resurrection of the just, not because we are so good that we're just, but because the blood of Jesus Christ and being accepted in Him, in what He's done for us, then we, have, we are resurrected unto life. We have that resurrection of eternal life where we'll be fashioned likened to his glorious body. And so we're looking forward to that day. So we're in Revelation chapter 20 tonight. And I'm going to go back to verse 4 is where we're going to start this evening. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's go on and have a word of prayer. And, and then we'll get started into the message for this evening. Now, Father, again, I want to say thank you for your goodness, your kindness to us that has been outpoured so freely given to us. And so, Lord, as I look at what you have done for us, just avoiding what we see here in Revelation chapter 20 that is laid out for those without Christ, Lord, we thank you for somewhere along the line sending a witness to our lives to bring us to Christ. Lord, I pray that this pulpit, this church, would always be a light that directs people to Christ, directs the wayward Christian back to a strong relationship with Christ. And we would ask this in that name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now as we look here in our text, we, we start off here with uh, verse 4. Verse 4 says there, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, uh, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the Word of God. Now, we told you this morning, I'm just kind of reviewing here to begin with, but we told you this morning, there are two reasons. Now, these people here that are sitting on thrones, this is talking about now the millennium. That's talking about that 1,000-year reign with Christ. That is the millennium. So, those are sitting on the throne. They've been giving given thrones for that, but they were beheaded during the tribulation. These are people in the tribulation that got saved. They were, uh, heard the gospel, received Christ, and they stood up for Christ, but a witness for Christ would mean you're caught, you're beheaded, and to preach the Word of God, to speak on the Word of God, and to stand on the Word of God and tell the people what God's Word says would also be a cause for beheading. These people were beheaded for the cause of Christ, but as we told you this morning, they knew that. They were warned of it from the world. It happened. 
But they believed more strongly that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And they will have those scriptures because the Lord preserves his scripture even in the, uh, even in the tribulation. The scriptures aren't done away with. It might cost you something to have a copy of the Bible, but it's not done away with. It is still there, and they will be beheaded. Now, again, Revelation chapter 20, we're looking at people that were saved to begin with during the tribulation, these that are sitting on these thrones. Now, verse 4 continues, And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their uh, foreheads, or in their hands. And again, we told you Revelation chapter 13 speaks of the mark of the beast, which is 666. Now, in, I've heard different preaching over the years. Some say about implants where you'll have to take this implant, and if you don't take that implant that you put to death, and that'll have the 666. Others said, well, no, that on your hand or on your forehead uh, is, is uh, a series of numbers, computer type numbers. There are things that add up to 666, all different things of that nature. You know, I just go along with the Bible. Just because we don't understand it within our culture doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Okay. Lord said it'd be 666. Uh, hey, walk to the mall sometimes. Walk into Walmart or somewhere else and see all the tattooed people. And you think that people have a problem with a mark on their hand or their forehead? Especially knowing that if they don't take it, they're going to be put to death. Okay? So, I, I'm careful about us trying to tell God how he's supposed to do this mark. And how he's supposed to fulfill his word. Uh, he said it. He'll stand behind it. He'll do it just the way he said you know, one of the things that I actually believe here, I, I do, I believe this. Uh, you know, the first temple was built back in Solomon's time. And then there was a second uh, temple that was built. And there will be a third temple built that will be in the tribulation. We call that, I call that, the Antichrist temple. He'll be behind that. That's where he'll set up his image. But there's a fourth temple. When Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, then there'll be that temple, and that'll be the right temple. Now, I will say this. One of the times I was in Israel uh, talking to the guy at the Temple Institute, uh, he said, well, we, we have the plans already laid out. Everything's ready. And I like the way he says, he says, now, it's not the way you read in the Bible of the temple of that day. Now we've got air conditioning, we've got restrooms, we've got all these other things. We, he's telling about all these things they'd have. But, you know, after he was talking about it, I got to thinking, well, you know what, when I looked there in the book of Ezekiel, it's not laid out the way they said it is, you know. And so I just, uh, uh, just took that. But one of the things I actually believe is that when Jesus comes back there and that temple set up, they mocked him in John chapter 2. Destroy this body in three days, I'll raise it again. He was actually talking about his body raising from the dead. But I think just to show them, he'll raise that temple in three days. I think he, he will, because when he sets it up, it's going to be set up. And if somebody can speak the worlds into existence, as the Bible teaches that he did, a temple is nothing for him to speak into existence in three days. So, Having said that, uh, and that just came to my mind, by the way, <laughs> I said it, but nonetheless, uh, I think it's good for us to see that one thing is that the Lord, when he says he's going to do something, he will do it. And so, again, we see here in verse 4, they did not worship, didn't get the mark, didn't do any of that. And this is what caused them to be beheaded. They were beheaded for that. But again, as I said earlier, they just took Jesus at his word and they would be with him. And we pointed out this morning how they are under the altar in Revelation chapter 6. Saying, oh Lord, how long, holy and true. Why? Because I think they know that when that 
rapture happens for those others, and, and, and should I say more, when, when the Lord decides He's coming back in Revelation chapter 19, should I say, when that happens, they know, they know they're going to rule and reign for that thousand years. So, as that tribulation's going on, these have been slain during the tribulation, but they're under the altar, but they're waiting. They can see those that were raptured, and they have bodies fashioned like in the Christ's glorious body. I think they want that, but also they're looking forward to ruling and reigning with Christ. And so that's going to be a great thing for them. And so, again, that's what we're looking at. Now, uh, as we considered that, and we just went on into that, uh, they lived and died, uh, lived and not again until the thousand years were finished. Now, you say, what is that about? Did not live again till the thousand years were finished. Now remember, uh, for this cause they were beheaded, but then uh, in verse 4, when we continued there with it, it says, they did not worship the beast. They did, but those that did, they were put to death. And so he says, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection on the second. <laughs> There's no power. And so what we was telling you about this morning, the first resurrection began with Jesus Christ. He's the first fruits. The first resurrection. Sometimes we have a tendency to put things in, in our way of thinking instead of seeing God's way of thinking. Saying that he's the first fruits of the resurrection means that we're part of that resurrection. But that doesn't mean that we go at the same time. Our, our school's getting ready to have graduations. And they'll call names and people come by here and they'll get their diplomas one at a time. They're getting their diplomas, but they only go one at a time. One at a time. And so, in that first resurrection, Yes, we know that uh, there when Christ does call us at the rapture, yeah, a bunch of us go at the same time. But Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. And then we that remain were with him on that. So again, I want you to keep that in mind as we go along. Then in verse 6 he says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. We covered that this morning. Everybody is born spiritually dead. That's the first death. If you get saved, you are born again spiritually. Because life is talking about the spirit. It's our spirit that lives forever. These bodies will not live forever. And praise the Lord, I'm not living in this body forever. I'm going to live in a body that's fashioned like unto his glorious body. But nonetheless... When we think of that, that's the first death. The second death is when man dies without Jesus Christ and he's cast into that eternal lake of fire. He's cast into hell. He goes down there, if he dies in this life, to hell. Not the uh, lake of fire, but it's still brimstone. It's still fire because it says, I'm tormented in this fire. He's tormented. And he's in fire. And that's in hell. But the lake of fire, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And that is the second death. And there's no escape ever. So again, that's part of the second death that we talked about that uh, this morning. Then verse 6 continued, But they shall be priests of God. These are the ones that serve the Lord through the uh, tribulation period that died for the cause of Christ. They were saved during the tribulation, but then they got they got tortured and they died a horrible death. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for 1,000 years. That's the 1,000 year millennium. Okay. Now, when you think about that, they're priests. We told you that a priest talks to people for God and talks to God for people. And that's what these priests will be doing throughout the, uh, that tribulation period until they get beheaded. 
but then after they're beheaded, and then uh, Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom, they reign with him for a thousand years. They're those priests of God. Now, we're not talking about the Aaronic priesthood. These are priests of God, like you and I are priests. Did you realize that you're a priest? If you're saved, you're a priest. We are priests of God. And as a priest of God, we do two things. We talk to people for God, and we talk to God for people. That's what we do, and that's our call. So, the people of the first resurrection has eternal life. The people of the second resurrection has eternal existence. But that's not called life because they're in a lake of fire, tormented forever and ever. So we, we covered that. Now, tonight we want to see the preface to that thousand years. And we're going to look in verses 1 through 3 of this 20th chapter. So that's why I did the uh, thing from this morning so we could get to this. Now, in verses 1 through 3, uh, we begin to read there. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now this is after the battle of Armageddon. Chapter 19, the chapter before this, describes that pretty well. So let me just look at, uh, although we see in verse 11 is when Christ comes back on that white horse with the armies on there, those horses right behind them, the armies of heaven, and we're coming with Christ, and the battle of Armageddon takes place, the blood flows to the horse's bridle, and so forth. But I want just to read this uh, as I uh, listen to it as I read it in verses 17 through 21. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying unto all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that set on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. In any way, whether they're great or small, they were unsaved people. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. The beast is the Antichrist, by the way. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. They think that they can overcome Jesus Christ. And against his army and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. That is, in the sight of the, of the beast, the Antichrist, this false prophet did miracles that would convince the people that this is all right. And so he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that uh, worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So the beast and the false prophet when Christ comes back, are thrown in there before what we read in Revelation chapter 20. And the remnant which were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. As I've read those that uh, do that are far more uh, excellent on their understanding of Greek than I would be. So that idea of filled is they gorged, uh, the birds gorged themselves. There was so much there. And so uh, the fowls of the air, and I don't just think it's the fowls of the air right there in Israel. I think it's the fowls of the air from the various places of the world. They're called together. And they're filled with that. 
And then we look here in verse 2 of this chapter 20. And he laid hold, this angel comes down from heaven, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Now, I want you to understand something. Satan was the greatest power among the angels. We're told in Jude that when Michael was disputing with him, he didn't rebuke him. He said, the Lord rebuked thee. He didn't have the power that was equal to Satan. But now, an angel is many times just like we are. By that I mean, in our own power, we can do nothing. But when the, God, the power of God is working in us and through us, there's nothing impossible. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I believe the Lord will do that through these angels, because now this angel is going to get a power that to this point he has not had. And so, the angel never had this power before. Now he has this power over Satan to take him and cast him down there into that bottomless pit. I think of the verse that says, O Lucifer, Son of the morning, how art thou fallen? And so, the nations are there. He's cast into that lake of fire. He's cast down there. And it says, and cast into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. Now think of that. For that thousand years, Satan is, he, he's chained in hell. I think he's chained in a specific body that he cannot escape. But he is in that for 1,000 years. There's nothing that he can do about it. And then next verse says, and, and the thousand years is speaking here, but before I go to the next verse, the thousand years is speaking about that millennium. Is speaking about the millennium. This is before verses 7 through 15 that we're going to read about when Satan is loosed. And so in verse 7 he says, And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. You know, When I think for the thousand years of what they had, and we're going to see more about that in a few minutes, but when I think of the thousand years that they had there and what happens on earth during the thousand years of prosperity, that may give us a picture and probably one of the people that will be in heaven that will have tears in their eyes will be that man, Adam, and Eve as they see what it could have been on earth had they not fallen to the temptations of Satan. Verse 8 says, And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. With so many people killed and destroyed in that seven-year millennium, I mean, uh, tribulation, especially when, when Christ comes back and the blood flows to the horse's bridle and all of the death that took place in that. And then the population is, of the earth is as the sand of the sea. How does that happen? Because Jesus is ruling it's the way it would have been. It's the way it should have been. But man sinned against God. The 1,000 years of war. No, there was no war. Because it was 1,000 years of no war. Man can't name 100 years that he's had without war on this earth. This is a thousand years of no war. 
living in total prosperity. There's no crime. And there are people born during that time. And yet, they'll inherit a sin nature. Boy, now that gets people's attention in a hurry. How are they going to inherit a sin nature? Well, we'll see about that in just a moment. But I first want to go to Isaiah chapter 65, verses 20 through 25, and lay a foundation. Because there we're seeing something about this thousand-year reign. And there it says, beginning in verse 20 of chapter 65 of Isaiah, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old. But the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. He's accursed because he did not get saved. He did not get born again, you might say, during that thousand-year reign. You see, I believe that these babies that are born in the millennium to begin with, they're people who went through the tribulation. You see, not everyone in the tribulation is going to die. There'll be people come out of the tribulation that got saved in the tribulation, and they'll enter the millennium. There are some, I believe, they're born, maybe their parents were saved. They're born. They also entered the millennium. Because you see, the rapture took place before the tribulation started. And so they're also the millennium. And so they begin to have children. They didn't follow Satan. They didn't take the mark. They didn't go those directions. They have children. But you see, they still have a sin nature. They still have a sin nature. And the parents that bear them, even though they got saved in the tribulation, will have still sin nature. So everyone will still need to be saved uh, that is born in the tribulation. But because Christ is ruling, you're not going to hear of sudden, death in, uh, sudden infant death syndrome. You're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear or see any commercials about children having cancer and the St. Jude's thing. That won't happen. God is in control. There will be some men we're told that they'll just be wicked. They'll be evil. And it'll be a hundred years before they die. But they'll be accursed, that is, reserved for hell. So we see all of those things happening to them. And so again, these are the ones that uh, came through the tribulation. Now verse 20 says, And there shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man, and we read that, uh, nor that filled his days for he should die being a hundred years old, but the uh, sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Accursed because he would not get saved. That is the hard part, but verse 21, and they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. You see, they're going to still plant. But it's going to be 100%. Sure, they'll plant gardens, but it's going to be 100%. They don't have to worry about some kind of a bug getting in there and destroying their, their food or things. It, it's going to be right. Not a problem. 
on the earth since Jesus Christ has taken over and he's reigning. And, and Satan loses what he gained from Adam. You see, Adam had that position. But when he was able to make Adam fall, when he was able to tempt him and cause Adam to fall, Satan got that authority. That's why when he offers Christ the kingdoms of the world, he says, it is mine to give. Because now he had what Adam had when Adam fell. But now Satan doesn't have that. Christ is victorious over him. He doesn't have that anymore. So he can't do it. So this reign on earth, that thousand years is going to be tremendous. And they shall not build, verse 22 says, and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Oh, who's he talking about? The elect. If you're saved, you're the elect. You know, people talk about election took place before the foundation of the world. And it did. It actually did. But the plan of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins and being buried and raised from the dead and only His blood being the payment, that took place before the foundation of the world is the plan. But the cross actually didn't take place until 2,000 years ago. So how did Old Testament people get saved? By keeping the law? No, the Bible is very clear that keeping the law, no flesh shall be justified. So it couldn't have been that. But you see, when a person receives Christ, in the Old Testament, they look forward to that coming Messiah. When that Messiah would come, then, then what He would do for them, that would be their salvation. He would save them. So they put trust in a Messiah that was to come. They were looking for Messiah when Jesus came, but they didn't think it was Him. And so, they look forward to that. We look back to it. The blood shed for us and for them was 2,000 years ago. But it wasn't the blood was not applied to me until I received Christ as my Savior. The election was not applied to me until I received Christ as my Savior. So, we are the elect. We have that to praise God about. You know, one of the things that... And I shared this with the deacons. I haven't really said this in the congregation, but I shared this with the deacons at last meeting. I just said, you know, I believe that when the children of Israel thought, well, Moses is dead. Moses, man, that guy's gone. He's dead. He's, he's over with. He's been on that mountain so long. That's it. God evidently killed him. Aaron, we need some help. And so they make a golden calf, bringing, giving all their stuff. You know, I've never really thought of this before, but until just recently. And I'm not saying this is a set in stone doctrine, but it just really gives me pause to think. We know that Eve thought when Seth comes that this would be the one that would be the Savior. And of course he wasn't. And from the days of Noah, from the days of Abraham, those children of Israel were looking still for Messiah. I think because they gave of their golden earrings and the other things that they had to make this golden calf. And they said, by this, we are delivered. They looked at that golden calf as a Messiah. That just kind of got under God's skin, you might say, because he was ready to destroy them all. And if Moses doesn't intercede, they're all dead. And so they had a false Messiah. But you see, that's another picture of the tribulation because they're going to look at this Antichrist They'll realize he's not Messiah, but they'll think of him as a Messiah because he'll set up in the temple and set himself up as a God. 
and, and, and he'll deceive them into thinking that. So, verse 23, there in Isaiah says, They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. Now, the reason I wanted to point out about the greatness of the, of the millennium, that thousand-year reign after the tribulation is over, when Christ comes back, is this one thing. People so often say that we are a product of our environment. Revelation 20 shows the best environment. What we read in Isaiah 65 shows the best environment that man has ever had. And yet, this devil will be able to convince them otherwise. You know, we say, we take Revelation, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 22, 6, train up in the child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. It's on our website, by the way, in, in one of the booklets that I've written. But people say, well, if you train them just right, they'll never go wrong. They'll never do bad. If they, and others say, well, they may go wrong, but they'll always come back. You know what? I know some people that were trained right, that were raised right, and they didn't come back. And they were raised in a good home. You say, then, what does that mean? You train them up in the way they should go, they shall never depart from it. It means that they can't get away from it. They can't get away from it. Yeah, you know, a lot of times, I, I mentioned earlier about asking those kids to go, a lot of times there are kids that just don't go to church anymore and all that, hey, why don't you go to church with me? Now, they, they, love, they love mom, they love dad, they love grandma, they love grandpa, but they don't want anything to do with grandma or grandpa's God. And why? Because when you mention it, when you start talking about the things of the Lord, they get, they get angry. They don't want anything of that. But why would you get angry? If I was talking to somebody that was an atheist, if I was talking to somebody else that was another religion altogether, I said, I said, you know, the Bible teaches that you should not drink. The Bible teaches us against uh, this and against that. They may not agree, but they're not going to get angry. So why is your kid getting angry? Because you trained them up and that's always a witness. So it may make them angry, but that's always a good thing because that shows that there's always a hope and a chance. That's why you never give up on praying for a child that is wayward and gone so far another direction. That conviction is there. You read the Bible to them. You prayed with them. You had them in God's house. You stick with it. Stick with it. Because it won't depart from them until the day they die. It'll always be there. And so, these do not labor in vain or into things. And to say that you're a product of your environment, no. You're a product of your sin nature. That's why you need to be born again. And so, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Now, again, this is Isaiah 65. It's in the millennium. And you and I are not like that. We, we, we can pray, but we're not so often. We, we try to pray in faith. But here Jesus saying, I'll know. The Lord, I'll know even before you ask. I'll answer even before. You see, in our prayers so often, they're inspired of the flesh. It's the Spirit that maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be made by us. But in that day, God is going to really do His work. Verse 25, there of Isaiah 65, And the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. And the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. And dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. I can't help but to think uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford singing 
peace in the valley. The bear will be gentle, the wolf will be tamed, and the lion shall lay down by the lamb. And the beast of the wild shall be led by a child. <laughs> Why? Because we're all changed from the creature that I am now. I, I think that this is really talking about the millennium, but still there's a big change because the Lord made a change. And so we do find in other spots where the children's able to even put their hand on the cock of Christ's den and it won't hurt them. That's the millennium. And yet, as great as that sounds, that's not the eternal life that we have in heaven. But wow, just think of that. And so, as we go back here to verse 9 now of Revelation chapter 20. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever. Now when you go back up to verses 7 and 8 here, chapter 20, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together unto the battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. This a thousand years of all this prosperity and then Satan is loosed. All that good environment, but he comes out. There are those that got saved during that uh, time, but then there are those that did not get saved. That old nature begins to manifest itself. Because an eternal rain is coming on. As bad as Armageddon is, we find that fire comes down out of heaven when this group s surrounds them. Now, I think of two things when I read this and say this. Number one, Satan comes out of the pit. But guess what? He was loosed. He was allowed out of the pit. He didn't escape. But I believe that he's going to be able to convince people, yes, I was in the pit. For a thousand years, but I overcame it. I have the power. I escaped. And he goes about and he corrupts the nations one more time. And people believe him as Eve did in the garden. They believe him. How could he have this power? But you see, man's logic is not always compatible with God's truth. And so man has to think in the mind of humanity, not in the mind of deity. And so, I believe that he deceives the people one more time. And because they still had that old sin nature, hey, we can do these things. He overcame the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, though, we find out something because these guys are surrounding Jerusalem. They're going to destroy Jerusalem, they think. They're going to destroy the city of God. They're going to take down that temple that's been built there. What does he say? No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. See, the righteousness, that when I believe unto righteousness, I'm believing unto the Lord's righteousness. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. This is the Lord's righteousness. Everything said, said to Eve made sense to her, but she was deceived. 
Satan deceives all these people as well. And so this instruction is to us. As a Christian, right now, in this world that is controlled by Satan right now, So many things sound logical to people. You know, the, you know what the contemporary movement in the churches are? What it's about? Dropping all these standards? You know what it's about? Hey, we'll get the crowds. Oh, just think of all the evangelism. Uh, we're calling people to repentance. Not to continue in their sin. And you see... Our logic is kind of like Eve. Oh, yes, hey, I'll be just like God. Eve, you are deceived. These people say, Satan overcame. Hey, we can do this. So no matter how logical it may be to our thinking, it is. If God says one thing, you better trust him. See, that's the trial of your faith as a Christian. No matter how this world gets, we're talking about this world. We think of America. All I hear now lately is that there's coming a big fall, maybe s similar to the uh, back in the 1920s and 30s where you had the Depression. So you know what? I think God can take care of us during the Depression, don't you? He can do that. Now, a lot of you take the sword of the Lord. Guess what? That was founded and started during the Depression. Not after it started, no. Uh, before it started, it was after it started. So you trust Him because when you have these things that are happening, when we get threatened, when all these things come about, just understand, it may simply be God allowing the trial of your faith. And your mind is, do I stand true to the Lord or not? For us today, then, we need to stand. And the devil, verse 10, that deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. They'll exist forever but they're in the lake of fire and torment. I don't know what kind of body the devil is in, but he can't escape it when he's cast into that lake of fire, and it will torment him. Hell was created for the devil, not for men that don't get saved. It was created for the devil and his angels. It torments them. Don't think of Satan as tormenting you in hell. That's what man devised, but God says no. Satan will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But the judgment for Satan. You know, there were some devils that were, and I better hurry up close here. But Second uh, Peter, I think it's chapter 2, verse 4, talks about hell. Use the Greek word tartarus. <laughs> think of tartar sauce, okay. But uh, no, don't think. Tartar sauce is not bad on fish, but tartarus is not good for anything. Because tartarus is speaking of the place where devils are. Some were chained after the flood, devils. They're still there. They're still there. Chained in that place. How are they chained? I don't know. I just believe the Bible, they're chained in that place. Is it in a body? I don't know, but they are chained in that place. Yes, they are ministering spirits, but now they're not doing what the Lord made them to do. Now they're chained. I mean, you think about it. Remember when Samson's parents and that angel appeared, and the father goes out there and he has this thing out there and puts in the, there's a fire on the altar, and that angel is in the fire, and then he ascends up. Man couldn't do that in the body, could he? Angels can do things that we can't do. But there's going to be 
a jail for them, and I just kind of have a feeling it may be some kind of a body that they can't escape because they can't escape hell right now that are in Tartarus. And Satan won't escape. He'll be let out at the end of that thousand years. But then the eternal reign of Christ, he is there forever and ever. The question then comes back to our title from this morning. Are you in the resurrection of life or in the resurrection of the just? And then secondly, do you see the importance of knowing God's word? So let me ask, do you have a daily time in the Bible? Now, devotional booklets are good. I, I wrote devotional booklets over there. And they're good to have, but we get, the, we get the Days of Praise. It's a great booklet. But you know what? There can be errors in mine. There can be errors in that. There can be errors in a lot of things. But there's no error in the Word of God. Even with the best intents, we can make mistakes. But there's no error in the Word of God. So get to know the Word. Meditate on it. Read it and get to know it. Let your beliefs be established on the Word of God. When you do something and people get mad at you, but you're doing it according to the Word of God, and then you start quoting Scripture, says, oh, they're just using the Bible to defend themselves. Great. If the Bible defends you, that is a good testament. They don't even realize they just complimented you. They think they put you down. But the reality of the matter is, Christ lifted you up that you might do the right thing according to His Word. The Bible should be a daily part of your life. If you go to work, say it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Get up at 5 and spend time in the Word of God before you leave. Spend that time. Spend time in prayer. Every time you read that Word, ask God to, by His Holy Spirit to teach it to you and give you understanding. Go back to it during the day. If you have an opportunity, share what you read that day with someone. Let it be you. Let it be your life. The Word of God. You say, why are you saying that? Because I want you to finish well. I want you to finish victorious. I want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Christian, Perhaps tonight it's just come to this place up here to pray. Say, Lord, I promise you I will read your word on a daily place, on a daily basis, but read it with the idea if I'm trying to learn from it and let you teach me from it. I want to read it thinking of how could I teach this to someone. Lord, please, as I read, let thy Holy Spirit teach me your word, the application. Guess what? God will. God will. If, uh-oh, uh, if, yeah, if you're willing to obey. If you're willing to obey. If you're willing to do God's will, God's way, God's timing, He'll do it. Commit yourself to it. Father,